Hey friends, welcome to the Family House Message of the Week podcast. This is Pastor Jason, lead pastor at Family House Fellowship in Cedar Park, Texas. At Family House, we are a family of faith growing towards wholeness in Jesus Christ, heart, mind, and strength, and helping others towards that same wholeness, impacting not only this generation, but future generations. We would love for you to check out more about us on our website. It's familyhousecp.org. Also, you can follow us on social media in all the places, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at FamilyHouseCP. And also, if you wouldn't mind, the best way to continue to see these podcast episodes when they drop is to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform that you love to get your podcasts. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, rate and leave a review. It helps other people find this Message of the Week podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. the lights up just a bit there we go awesome good to see you guys glad you're here um we are in what even week is this week four five i don't even know i think it's five um yeah i think it's five um you know but don't i'm I'm not into the maths so um, that's Pastor Gina's job. She's the maths person. Um, we're in we're in week five of our series called Jesus in Rewind, and um, last week um, we spent some time in Mark chapter four, and we talked about um, we talked about the power of parables. That was really sort of the the, the groundwork that we did um, in talking about um, Jesus the life and ministry of Jesus, but um, where we landed was all about the parable of the sower and the, the different soils that seed lands in. And the questions that I asked were, what kind of growth are you seeing in your own life? Um, if, if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go uh, on our YouTube channel and watch or the podcast and listen um, last week's message, but uh, just real quickly, I'm going to go over those those areas of growth. So Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower illustrates um, four areas, four ways, four um, types of growth. There's no growth, right, which is not really a type of growth because there isn't any. Um, it's where we listen, but we don't hear, and it creates shallow, or we, we listen and we don't but we don't hear, so we get no growth. And then number two is shallow growth, where it's high emotion but low intellect. And so our spirit's never really full because everything is an, an emotional roller coaster, um, and it's it ends up um, being a really shallow experience. The third is stunted growth. It's where we've received the seed. And it becomes rooted, but it becomes rooted in a divided heart and a divided mind. And so nothing ever really, the plant looks healthy on the outside, but it never produces fruit. And then the last one was full fruit. Full fruit. Full fruit. 
That's what we're going to be talking about today. We were going to talk about, we were going to talk about baptism, uh, Jesus' baptism today. We're going to push that to next week. It's really felt like this week as I was um, digging into um, Scripture that the Lord wanted to sort of take us on a side road. So um, I felt like Jesus was asking us to dig deeper in this area of how we can get full fruit, full growth. Um, we're taking um, we're taking this side road with Jesus. Um, not necessarily it's, today's not necessarily about Jesus in his life and ministry, but it is um, walking with Jesus. Um, so we're not going to be actually looking at a passage of scripture that talks about the life and ministry of Jesus, but obviously Jesus is woven through the story that God is writing in scripture. So we're, tonight we're going to be in Psalm 1, Psalm chapter 1, and um, I'll be reading from the ESV. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous the way of the wicked will perish. So there's a lot, there's a lot here. And we're going to break it down. First and foremost, we don't know who wrote this psalm. Um, it's not identified. A lot of the psalms are identified. This one's not. Um, but it sets the stage for, for all of the psalms. And the, the psalmist is really trying to get at the heart of what it looks like to live a life with God in a soil that will allow us to flourish and produce fruit. So our very existence hangs in the balance as we stand at the crossroads between two starkly contrasting realities. On one side lies the realm of the supernatural, while on the other, it's the domain of the natural world. And yet, the stakes are even higher as we have to choose between two warring kingdoms, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan. And our decision will determine our ultimate fate, and the consequences will be felt for eternity. This reminds me of Jesus talks about two gates in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 13 through 14, he talks about the wide is the gate that leads to destruction and narrow is the gate leads to life. And then Jesus describes himself as the narrow gate. Got to pass through Jesus to get to the kingdom. It's interesting. Um, every day, we, t we talked about this last week, right, that that those of us who live in Christ Jesus really don't have 
another option to live as though something else is more important than Jesus. Philosopher and theologian Sir Francis Schaeffer said, There is no reconciliation of opposites. Right? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, right? Scripture describes the place where we're living now as the kingdom of this world, which God has handed over to Satan for now. And so we have two, these two opposite these two opposite realities. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of darkness. And Sir Francis Schaeffer says there is no reconciliation of opposites. So what do we do with that? If we look at Psalm 1, very first thing he says blessed is the man and women you're so included in this right blessed is the man blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers first blessing is associated with not being involved with some things Right? Typically we like to keep it positive. Right? It's like this is what you should do. This is what you this is what you should do. Right? It's a question we ask ourselves all the time. What should I do? It's a question that I that I ask my kids. When my kids have a problem, when my kids have, have a situation that they can't seem to figure out, I'm like, What do you what are you gonna do? Right? But here the psalmist is reminding us what isn't associated with with God's kingdom. So he says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Let's break it down. Walks not in the counsel of the wicked. It's one of the things not to be involved in. He says, Blessing comes for those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. It's a worldview, ethical life, and moral decisions are no longer dictated by the godless. Our worldview, our ethical life, and our moral decisions will no longer be dictated by the godless. Where do you get your wisdom from? That's the question the psalmist is asking. Where are you getting your wisdom from? Are you getting the things you should be doing from people whose worldviews are not in alignment with yours, whose ethical life don't line up with Scripture, and whose moral decisions are no longer dictated, or are being dictated by godless living? I think we, we have to go back and sort of look at what the word wicked means, right? Because in my brain, if I'm, if I'm thinking it critically, the word wicked, I think of some very specific things. 
right? I mean, there are some very specific things that can be perpetrated by people whom I would go, that's pretty wicked. But that's not the way God sees it. Wicked, the word wicked in Hebrew is translated criminal only a few times. But it's translated ungodly 263 times. So the baseline for the baseline for wickedness in God's eyes is doing anything that isn't aligned with his heart. So whenever I do something that's not in alignment with God's heart, which frankly, we talked about that a few weeks ago, right? We are no longer sinners. We're saints who sometimes sin. When I no when I do something that's not in alignment with God's heart, if without Jesus, God sees me as wicked. Without the lens of Jesus, God sees me as wicked. Anything that is not in alignment with his heart, that's what wicked means. So when the psalmist says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, he's saying, don't walk if you want to be blessed in your life. And blessing is a word that means joy. It means prosperity, prosperity of relationships, of, of uh, um, life and prosperity, even, even in, in physical life, but it's not, that's not the crux of it, right? Anyone who wants to be blessed should not walk and gain counsel with ungodly people. Blessed life does not include walking in the counsel of ungodly people. Reminds me of a phrase, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Right? Um, I remember growing up <clears throat> a lot of times, you know, my, my parents took us to church um, Every time the doors were open, we were there. And most of my friends were people who went to, who I went to church with. That was my friend group. And I know when my younger brother, I mean, no, no knock on my younger brother, but my, when my younger brother got to high school, it was a little different for him. And so I know that my parents were a little bit more afraid of my brother's friends than they were of mine. Because of this thing. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Not to say anything about my brother. He's a good dude. He's living a great life and uh, loves Jesus. Um, But it's, it's a true statement. Walking in the counsel of the wicked will only get us pain. And then he says, does not stand in the way of sinners. Are you letting your identity, your lifestyle, and your reputation be determined by those who are at odds with God? That's what the psalmist is asking. Stands in the way of sinners. Are you letting your identity, your lifestyle, and your reputation be determined by those who are at odds with God? 
is that we can get on Instagram and we can scroll and slowly we start letting people on the other side of a phone screen begin to determine who we are, how we live, and then we worry about what they think of us. I've heard somebody say before, we spend way too much time worrying about people, what people think of us, that actually we don't even like very much. You imagine this generation of, of kids and young adults who, who have grown up with social media their whole, nearly their whole lives, and they're letting their identity, they're letting their reputations, they're letting, they're letting their lifestyle be dictated by someone on the other side of a phone screen. And then the psalmist says, does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Are we swayed by the corrosive power of cynicism and arrogance? Or do we make judgments from the vantage point of those who use such toxic influence? Man, cynicism is a poison. Arrogance Right? Pride is a killer. And it just begins to eat away at us. So here's the internal evaluation Where am I walking? With whom? Where am I standing? With whom? Where am I sitting? With whom? This is a progression. See, walking indicates seeking ungodly wisdom. Standing indicates identifying with sinners. And seated indicates being established in the authority of their judgments. Let's say that again. Walking indicates seeking ungodly wisdom, right? We're allowing ungodly influences to determine some things. They're, they're becoming influences on our lives. Standing indicates identifying with their points of view. And seating, being seated indicates that we have established ourselves in the authority of their judgments. They now have authority in our lives. Walking, standing, sitting. It's a progression. Some of us are walking. Walking with somebody. Right? You see the analogy? Who are you walking with? You're walking with somebody and they're counsel. They're giving you counsel. They're telling you, you, you should do that. I don't know how many times I've heard stories of people who are talking about their problems. They're like, oh man, you know, my, things, are, things are rough at my house. Um, you know, the relationship with my significant other is, is, is strained. And I don't know, I don't know what to do about it. And if, and if the person that you're walking with 
in that scenario doesn't believe in the counsel of God, then their recommendation is going to be to you the same recommendation that the world gives us, which is just get out of that. If it's not making you happy, don't do it. And you know what? What makes me happy is the worst indication of what I ought to be doing. That's the counsel of the wicked. And then we find ourselves, you know, we, we walk in that counsel a little bit, right? And then, and then we find ourselves standing where they're standing. We're standing in their spot. It's, it's one thing to identify with somebody, right? To, to feel their pain, to have empathy for them, to, um, to listen to the, to the things that are going on in their world. It's a completely different thing to identify with their point of view. Walking, standing. I'm now, I've now planted my feet on the ground that they have decided is appropriate. Once I'm seated, when I found a seat at the table of cynicism and arrogance that believes that I am the moral authority in my own life, that's the progression that happens. I start walking in the counsel of the wicked. I find myself standing in their spot. And then I end up being seated in the seat of scoffers. Where I'm just going, looking around, going, look at that. Look at that judgmental, hypocritical, Bible thumping, whatever. You get what I'm saying? You see the progression that the psalmist is trying to describe to us? But remember, blessing comes in not doing those things. Now, you will not hear me saying you should not have relationships with non-Christians. You will not hear me saying that you should not invest in relationships with people who don't 100% believe what you believe. Because that is the only way we bring the kingdom out there. Is if we take what the Lord has put in our hearts and we walk it out these doors and we take it out to a city who so desperately needs it. The, the clincher is you can have a relationship but you can't allow their views to impact you to the extent you are being you are, you are walking standing seated. If you're going to walk in the counsel, if you're going to walk in the counsel of someone, it should be the Lord. If you're going to stand somewhere, it should be on the word of God. And if you're going to seat be seated somewhere, it should be at the right hand of the Father. That's that's what we're getting at. And that's what the psalmist says, right? He says, "But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night." Okay, I want you to take the word law, and this is going to sound very drastic, but I want you to take the, law, the word law and I want you to throw it away. 
And instead, I want you to think of the word heart, the phrase heart of, heart of the Lord, the heart of the Lord. Because God's law was meant to help us identify our own sin. And so when the psalmist talks about meditating on the, on the law of the Lord, he's talking, about, he's talking about a process that gets us into the throne room. It's a process that gets us next to the Father. It's a process that gets us close to God so that we can hear His voice. The law of the Lord is knowing His heart. What is the heart of God? What is the heart of God? The psalmist uses the word delight. What do we delight in? What are the things we delight in? What are the things you love? What are the things that make that that light you up? Right? That get you excited. Last week we looked at Jesus being our only focus. We've pledged ourselves as followers of Christ, we can't afford to be distracted by chasing other things if we wish to reap the rewards of spiritual maturity. So, our passion should be the law of the Lord. Our passion should be the heart of God. Law equals revelation. Law equals revelation. Or even better, the law equals God's thoughts on something or his heart for something or his desire for something. He says, on the law of the Lord, he meditates day and night. Meditation, you know, we get, these are things, these are things we get sideways on, right? As Christians, we're like, meditation, we're not, supposed to, we're not supposed to do those things. I'm not supposed to do yoga. I'm not supposed to do, can't let the, can't let the devil have a, uh, backdoor entrance into my life. Here's the thing. Meditation is like, and I'm going to use it's probably a, a it's, prob- it's, it's a pretty graphic and sort of gross analogy. Meditation is like a cow in a field eating grass. And I don't know if you know much about the cow's digestive system, but a cow will chew grass. He'll swallow it into one stomach, and then he will regurgitate it, and he will chew it some more, and then he will it will go through to the another to another stomach, and then he will bloop, and then he'll chew it some more, and then he'll. That's the word meditation in Scripture. I'm chewing on the Word of God. It is rolling over in my head. I'm just contemplating the word of the Lord over and over and over again. And the, the Hebrew word that the psalmist use here literally means to speak or utter God's words. That's meditation. So what the psalmist is actually saying is, is that, that his language becomes my language. His attitude becomes my attitude. It, it is literally the expression of repentance. Because, exp- because repentance literally means changing our mind. Right? It's realizing that this thing that I've put in my life in a prominent place is not in alignment with God's heart. And so I'm going to change my mind to be like God's mind. I'm going to put my mind in alignment with God. That's what this word meditation really means. It's understanding 
that what God, what is really going to, really going to get me places in life, what is really going to give me the blessed life, is going to be making sure that what comes out of my mouth is in alignment with God. That his words become my words. That his heart for things are on my heart. John 15, 5, we talked about this last week. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, uh, it is that, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from you, you can do, apart from me, you can do nothing. What does it look like to bear much fruit? It's being close to Jesus. Jesus is the word, right? John tells us that earlier in, in, the, cha- in the, the book of John. He says, John describes Jesus as the word become flesh. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Right? Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. The point, the climax, the crescendo of the story God has been writing. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the Word. And so, if, the, if we learn the law of the Lord, and we learn the heart of the Lord through the Word of the Lord, Jesus is the way we, we begin to identify with the Lord. So the, here's the choice. We're being discipled by something. Right? We're being discipled by something. We're either being discipled by the counsel of the wicked or we're being discipled by the law of the Lord. Verse 3. Here in verse 3, the psalmist uses a simile to describe the blessed person as a tree planted by rivers of water. These rivers are like irrigation ditches. As the believer meditates, he will be continually watered by the word. The results of this nourishment are twofold. First, we will bear fruit in season. Right? That's what the, that's what the psalmist says. He says, will be planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And then he says, we will be evergreen. That's what he's saying, right? Because he says the alternative is that your leaf withers and dies. So here's the crux of what I came to say tonight. If we're looking to be fully good, fertile soil, if that's it, that's really the only option. Right? It's really the only option in the kingdom. You're either, you're either bearing fruit or you're not bearing fruit. You're either alive or you're dead. If our, if our goal is to be fertile soil that truly bears fruit, we have to be planted by the stream, by the source, by the one who is the Word.
says, in all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Right? It's like, it's the, the chaff is technically the leftover pieces of the grain after it's been separated. It's good for nothing. They don't keep it for anything, and the wind just blows it away. Do you want to be a tree planted by streams of living water, or do you want to blow away in the wind? And then this last piece says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment. Now, for the longest time I read this, and I, it confused me. Like, what do you mean the, the wicked won't stand in judgment? Of course they're going to be judged. No, no, no. He's saying the wicked are not going to have a place to stand at the time of judgment. They will not be able to stand against the judgment of God. They have no recourse to stand. I find it interesting, right, that he that the psalmist uses the word stand a couple times in this passage. He talks about standing in the way of scoffers, and he talks about standing in judgment. Because at one point, you're either going to be standing as a scoffer, or you're going to be standing, and if you do stand as a scoffer, then you're going to be standing in judgment. Those who find their hope in Jesus, they don't have to stand in judgment. Now, we're going to be held account for how we how we what we did with the things that the Lord gave us in this life, right? We will be held accountable. But we're not, it's not going to be life or death for us. It's not going to be, it's not going to be, I don't know which, I don't know which way the scales are going to go, heaven or hell. Well, those of us who trust in the Lord Jesus will be saved, period. But, so we, we will be held accountable, but we won't stand in judgment. We won't, we won't, our sin will not be held against us. But for those who stood as scoffers, they will be. They will be held accountable for their sin, and they will have no recourse to stand. They'll have, they'll have no defender because they refused to accept the word of the Lord. says, for the word, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word yada in Hebrew means to know, to have intimate relationship. It indicates that the Lord keeps on knowing the way of the righteous. He keeps on knowing. That means that, that, means that it doesn't, he knows me. He keeps on knowing me. It's a promise. He will not forget me. And he will not forget you. And then he says, but the way of the wicked will perish. I want to read this quote to you as we, as we close. David, you can come up. It is he who gives us his own righteousness. As we live in communion with him, 
we will be that tree planted and our way will be known to the Lord. As we live in communion with him, his psalms become our psalms and the road to happiness, to blessing, is ours. Being a tree, the way to get full fruit from our lives. Right? Because Jesus told us that he is the vine and we are the branches. And in him, if we stay in him, if we abide in Jesus, we will bear much fruit. If we stay close to Jesus, we will bear fruit. That is the mark. That's the mark. That's the mark of knowing Jesus. That's the mark of being close to Jesus. If we go out in the world and the world sees fruit in us, it's because we're close to Jesus. And he says, as we live in communion with him, we will be, plant, we, we will be that tree planted. And our way will be known to the Lord. As we live in communion with him, his psalms become our psalms. And the road to happiness, to blessing is ours. We get full fruit only with Jesus. Only with Jesus. There's no other options. There's no other way. The world wants you to think that there are multiple ways to get fruit out of your life. The world wants you to believe that there are multiple ways to get to eternal life. I'm here to tell you, there is only one way, and his name is Jesus. So I, I just want to I want to end where we began tonight. My prayer for us is out of Psalm 139. It's verses 23 through 24. And it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Father, I pray that we would be planted by streams of living water. That our lives would be firmly planted in you, Jesus. That we, Lord, give us, we understand that without you, we don't have desire for you. So, Lord, would you turn up the heat on us? That our desire for you, our desire to spend time with you, our desire to get to know you better, our desire to be in your word so that we can delight in your word. Raise our desire level for you. We want to know you more. We want our lives to be full of fruit. We want to be, we want to be the people that you see us to be. We want to we want to live that life of full fruit. Because otherwise, we're living a life that leads to a path of destruction. 
and the fruit that comes from our lives that only comes from you being in our lives. Is what the world sees, how the world sees you. It's how the world sees you in us. So Father, I pray that you would increase our desire for you so that we would go chasing after your heart and that full fruit that you want to that you want to produce in our lives. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. We're running over tonight. I just want to I want to lead you in communion real quick and then I'll let you go. You know the word communion literally means to be with. To have communion with Jesus is to be with Jesus. So this this sacrament, this the these elements that represent Jesus' body and Jesus' blood literally remind us that we need Him, that we need to be in community with Him, that we need to have a relationship with Him. And so join me as we take these. Father, we thank You for Your for the, for Your Son's body broken for us. Lord, would we never forget the price that was paid for us. And in times when we get complacent and we lose sight of you and we don't focus on you first, Lord, would you draw us back to this moment right here in remembrance of what you have done for us. Let's take the bread together. Father, blood had to be shed. Blood had to be had to be shed. It was part of it was part of the way you created it to be. That if sin was going to be in the world, then the only way to get rid of sin is for blood to be shed. And so you made the determination that the only way that this could be done once and for all is if you came yourself in, in the form of your Son Jesus to die and shed His blood for us, so that we might not have to stand in that judgment seat that our sin would not be held against us. We thank you, Lord. Let's take the juice together. Father, we we just again thank you that we even have a way, we have an alternative to standing with sinners and with to walk with those who would be ungodly and to, to be seated in a place of arrogance and complacency and cynicism. We even have an alternative as a blessing. It's a, it's a miracle, God. So we thank you for that. We thank you for tonight. We honor you. We love you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight. I love you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.